You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voice person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. We're coming to you from the train track enclosed nerve center that's the headquarters of the Office of Cable, TV, Film, Music, and Entertainment. It's also the historic headquarters of Black Entertainment Television, so it's an honor to be here. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to celebrate this thing called the Council. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the Council. You may also know me as the Council's voice on social media, at Council of DC. If you don't follow us already, get with the program. Here at the Council, our communications goal is to engage with residents in an informative, conversational, and sometimes even enjoyable way. You know if you follow us on Twitter, we're believers in the Mary Poppins School of Communications. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. We want to make it easy for average residents to understand what the Council does. We're demystifying our work and the people who do it. Remember, the D.C. Council is just like your workplace, except with the dais. On the show, we'll try to keep things light, offbeat, informal, and interesting. You'll learn about policy, learn about people, learn about history, and learn about the institution. Listeners, we've now begun our fifth round of interviews with council members. The older interviews are available, as always, on SoundCloud SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. However, our more recent interviews are now also available on iHeartMusic, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and also on the DC Radio app. The earlier interviews focus mainly on getting to know the council members' backgrounds, successes, struggles, and the people who shape and surround them. In the fifth round, we continued, we're going to continue to broaden things out, tackling issues that interest the council members and me. So, speaking of council members, without any further ado, let's welcome back uh, Ward 1 Council Member Brianna Doe. Hi, Josh. Hey, thanks again for being the new round guinea pig. Um, it's my pleasure, I think. And uh, if this if this was uh, Saturday Night Live, you know the fifth time you host, you get the the, the jacket, the five right? Timer club jacket. Yeah. So we need to uh, work on something yeah. like Excuse that. Excuse me, where's my jacket? Right. Well, <laughs> although I guess I'm the host, so maybe I get the jacket hmm. now that you've come back five times. That's Interesting. weird. We have to work that out. Yeah, we got to sort sort that out. Uh, so as always here on the show, we're we're fascinated with ratings and trying to maximize our listenership. And I think with that in mind, when I reached out to you for a topic, you said, hey, I know what will pull in the uh, the listeners uh, obsessed with the holiday season and good times and just having light hearts. That's right. And you said the comprehensive plan. The comprehensive plan. So why? Why? I gave you every single <laughs> uh, topic to choose from. And I said, and you let's go with the comp, with the comp plan. plan. Well... You know, I don't know if you have a breakdown of your listeners at this point, because I know it's newer, you know, and we're we're learning about uh, what makes the show most successful. But my sincerest hope is that it's really a bunch of nerds yeah. who are listening. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty strong in the nerd, uh, the nerd <laughs> demo. And uh, also people who care about the District of Columbia and who care about how we grow and uh, that we can be inclusive. And um, when I think about the comprehensive plan, 
I think about nerdiness. I think about uh, the future of our city. Uh, and I think about the challenge of ensuring that the document itself lays out the framework and the, and the groundwork uh, to ensure that we... Um, we are inclusive in so many different ways, and and now, and we've done now, some work on this. Now, now let me let me zoom all the way out for yeah. the, the three non-nerd listeners. <laughs> uh, what what is the comp plan? So the comprehensive plan is the way I talk about it is it's essentially the blueprint for the District of Columbia, um, not just for housing, which is often what I'm focused on, but also culture and education and seniors and really everything we do. And we don't revise it that often. Um, And so... uh, The way that it works is that the Office of Planning under the mayor initiates a draft, um, does a lot of community engagement and input, um, and then sends it to the council. We do some more community engagement and input and hold hearings, and then we revise it um, before it becomes the official living document that's used by the Zoning Commission, that's used by the courts, that's used by builders, um, that's used by communities to um, plan the future. And it's really fundamental to everything we do in government and in community. Now, is this a common uh, practice in other cities? Some cities do this, not all. Um, we, we know that in our neighboring jurisdictions, there are quite a few that do it. Um, but it's a best practice. And um, it's also a best practice to revise it um, frequently and um, periodically. And so we're, we're going through that process now. Um, and earlier this year, the council approved what we call the framework of the comprehensive plan. Um, And then recently, the mayor um, sent to us, sent to the community, the rest of the comprehensive plan, which is about 1,200 pages of of really great reading. If you have some time over the holidays to sit down with a glass of wine or a mug of cocoa in front of the fire, pour over it, it's good times. Absolutely. Now, how how realistically do they expect average folks to engage with a document that is of that importance, but that density, no pun intended. Density, yeah. It's a great, um, great question. So, you know, it's difficult for lay people, I think, to fully digest the entire document. Um, But what I think is more accessible is for people to think about what it is they're most interested in. Um, Is it arts and culture? Is it housing? Is it, um, is it uh, walkability? Is it transportation? Um, and to grab that chapter and sit with it, and that's a lot more manageable. Um, we also have community meetings. Um, the Office of Planning's been out and, and gathering input, and the Advisory Neighborhood Commissioners have been doing the same. And um, so what that allows us to do is sort of have smaller conversations by neighborhood um, about some of the elements that impact uh, neighbors directly, like how will the neighborhood grow and change in the future? You know, what type of housing will be near me? What kind of businesses will be near me? What kind of other institutions that help the community will be around? So um, it's all very relevant to people's lives. It is, I know, kind of a leap of faith to ask the public to, you know, take time out of their busy lives to, to pour over the document, but um, we're all trying to make it accessible as much as possible. So. Yeah, and I will appoint listeners to uh, on the Office of Planning's website. They actually have a useful document that says, how long are you wanting to spend on this? <laughs> and, and it says, like, 
you know, if you want to spend an hour, then we point you to this, you know, read the executive summary of this. And if you have, you know, a little longer, because there are also, and, and I wanted to talk about this, um, geographic, in addition to thematic elements, there are also geographic elements. That's but right. It, is the entire district covered by a small plan, or are these just areas that are getting special attention? So not everywhere is covered by a small area plan, um, and uh, not all of the ones that exist have even been implemented yet. Um, and Office of Planning has moved away from developing those um, to let them just sit on the shelf and has been doing some more active um, engagement. Um, uh, they have different tools they use now, but they're all still... Um, a part of the plan. So, for example, in Adams Morgan, where I know you used to be a neighborhood commissioner, um, there's the Vision Adams Morgan, um, which I had the opportunity to um, participate in back when I was between being an ANC and, and a council member because I was curious and interested. And that hasn't been fully implemented, but the comprehensive plan um, is adopting it and uh, making recommendations on how it can be implemented now. And the reason that's important is because those small area plans that have been sort of sitting on the shelf or sort of implemented um, piecemeal, because some of it has been done in Adams Morgan, is uh, there was so much community time and input put into each one of those plans. I think it's really important to show the people who gave their time and ideas that they matter and that we're still working on those things, that we haven't just forgotten about all of that effort, because they're really thoughtful plans. And, um, you know, when we have issues in a community that, you know, they're related to um, traffic flow or um, housing need or, you know, all of these these projects one by one, it's always helpful to be able to look back at something and say, well, we have a plan. Let's see how what your proposal is, how it's fitting into the plan. And when I was a neighborhood commissioner on U Street, uh, our small area plan down there was Duke, the Duke plan. Mm-hmm. And um, gosh, that's at least 20 years old, and um, we're still implementing it. The um, the groundbreaking of the Grimkey School, which is going to be um, mixed-use housing and office space, has been part of that plan for many, many years. Um, and it's always exciting to see another piece of the plan fall in. This is where we're really getting nerdy. Um, yeah. yeah, I know this isn't interesting to everybody, but hey, here we are, and this is you and I get to pick the topic. So exactly, and then communities that are not covered by small area plans—is yeah. it pure, purely opt-in, proactive that uh, any community that's not covered by one could? start to work on one of these collaboratively in their neighborhood? Um, so the Office of Planning has sort of moved away from that process, I think, because I, I mean, I don't want to speak for them, but my sense is because it's been labor intensive and and really, I think they take so long to implement. And so what they have done instead is sort of look at areas like uh, Mid-City and say, that's where most of Ward 1 is part of Mid-City, and say we want to specify what types of uses belong here, what types of housing, how, what the density should be, um, and we want to build from that. Um, and then there are other other tools that they have where you can have, you know, uh, targeted conversations about a neighborhood. They're still doing some of that. Um, and I think um, we've been pushing them on doing on that, doing that for parts of Ward 1 that haven't had small area plans done. So, um, And then uh, there's a lot going on in Lower Georgia Avenue, um, and we've been working with them to try to incorporate the changes on Lower Georgia into some larger plan that they're working on. So it's... Um, 
it's really exciting stuff if you are interested in city planning and the way neighborhoods grow. I think, you know, probably the majority of people living in the district don't have a lot of time to think about what planning goes into all of our neighborhoods, but they certainly notice when things aren't working for them. Right. And that's why it's so important to have plans, um, especially when it's great when we can say to a resident, I agree with you and we actually have a plan for that and here's where it is in the budget and here's when it's coming. And it provides people comfort even if there isn't an immediate solution to know that there's a plan. So we hear that with things like bike infrastructure or traffic calming, um, you know, things that impact people's safety and their day-to-day lives. So Sure. Um, so from the sort of geographic small area plan focus, let's go to the sort of thematic focus. Sure. And sort of the thrust of, of this plan seems to be uh, affordable housing. Yeah, um, for so, me. Well, Remember, I, I, there's I 1,200 for, pages, but there's the, the for me, the land use element where we talk about housing the most is the biggest piece. Yeah. And, and we talked and, about and it a lot framework. in the framework. Yeah. They, that's, that's what I would you, Oh, in the framework, yeah. Yeah, in the framework, I think it is. Where um, we've already voted. Dominant, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, talk to me about a little more in detail about how that played out, about what it used to say or yeah. not say, and now what it what it says. Absolutely. So we know that in the District of Columbia, since the last comp plan was put into place, there's been a lot of movement. There's been a lot of new people moving, but there've been also a lot of people pushed out. Um, one of the drafts of the framework came down, um, and it didn't really acknowledge the causes of gentrification in a way that felt authentic to everybody. So we really worked on that with the Office of Planning. I think they agreed. Um, and so we we worked on that to really talk about displacement and what causes it um, and how we want to prevent it in the future. And that also comes down to housing and how we build and where we build. Um, so we discussed that a lot in the framework. We amended it to ensure that we were having a real thoughtful and honest conversation about the causes of displacement. Um, And there's also some parts where we were able to set out our values of um, keeping uh, people of all income levels in our communities. So one of the things that we have seen over time is that when we build new housing, um, either we're getting rid of housing that exists for people who've lived here and we're not offering them replacement housing, um, or the new housing that's coming in is really just raising rents all around. And so um, we put in writing in the comp plan the first time our values of um, the right to return for people who um, whose housing is being rebuilt and replaced. Um, and this idea of building first and then moving people into new housing rather than demolishing the housing and displacing them when we're doing it. These are things we've talked about for years and that we've prioritized in some of our planning for, say, rebuilding public housing, um, but it's not something we've really put in writing. And um, the interesting thing about the comp plan is it doesn't really, it's not like it forces us to do anything, but it it forces us to acknowledge that these are our values, and then if we don't live up to them, you know, we can be held accountable to that. And I think that's one of the most important things we do in government is putting in writing and saying out loud, this is what we value so that the public can hold us accountable. Um, So those are a few things we did. But the other one, which I'm sure is on your mind, is what do we do about zoning and the places we can and can't build housing, right? That's a huge conversation that we're now having um, in the district council and in the mayor's office. Yeah. And what was interesting in, in reading up on this was the the 
uh, point you had made earlier about right to return, that apparently it had been um, people were trying to change it to the opportunity to return. Right. Um, and I see that, again, words matter. Words matter. Um, and making it stay right to return. Yeah. I think was, was critical. Thanks. Yeah. Um, we did get some sort of last minute pushback on that. And, you know, what I reminded folks was, look, first of all, this doesn't force anyone to do anything. Um, but what it does say is if you're if you're building on public land, if you're using public resources, if you're building new or you're replacing old, you have to be thinking about these things. And and um, one of the other reasons that's important is that um, when we get taken to court over a project, um, the courts often look at this document to try to understand our intent as a government. And one of the challenges we've actually had and we tried to fix in the comprehensive plan this time around in the framework, and we'll do it further in the rest of the document, is really tightening up language that created ambiguity when we were getting uh, when we were going through the legal process. We have something like 6,000 housing units tied up in court right now. And eliminating that ambiguity in, in the words that we have in the document and in the maps that we um, have in the document, I think, makes it a lot easier for judges to say, oh, this is what the city meant, you know, case closed. Um, because we need that housing, right? We can't, we, I mean, Park Morton, which I've talked about ad nauseum on this radio show, but folks are just going to have to live with that, I think. Uh, it's one of the most important things going on in Ward 1. Park Morton's been tied up in court for several years now, and that's you know, 175 families that have been waiting for their housing. And they've been waiting for it for 12 years. Um, that And that was just, you know, the lawsuit's only been the last couple of that. So Yeah, that's crazy. Now, help me understand something, because in, in, again, reading up on this, I was seeing that uh, I don't quite want to make it sound as easy as saying it was a consensus document and everyone went along with it. But right. there actually wasn't, despite it kind of sticking its neck out on some really important points. There wasn't yeah. a ton of opposition, but I was surprised to see uh, someone who was pushing back on it was the housing authority. Yeah. Now, the building industry makes sense that they would push back because, you know, we're good, seen as constraints on free enterprise, but why? And I can't imagine the D.C. Housing Authority, whose whole purpose is housing, uh, pushing back on a document that focused so strongly on housing. Yeah. Help me understand that. I think the Housing Authority um, uh, at, at one point during the conversation was misunderstanding the um, the intent, um, and they were concerned that the language we were putting in with the right to return would hinder their ability to redevelop their portfolio in, in the way that they wanted to. And I was able to sit down with them and talk it through and explain that, you know, once again, this is an expression of values. Right. And most certainly we want the housing authority to share these values. And so part of the job that we have ahead is to continue to express that and to push that and to ensure that, you know, when we're um, redeveloping the thousands of housing units that are set aside for people making less than thirty thousand dollars a year and sometimes way, way less that we're preserving those units, that we're building family sized units um, that you know, we don't take what is incredibly valuable land and property and simply sell it to the highest bidder because um, at this moment, 
uh, the housing and land itself is more critical than the money. Um, and there are lots of different ways you can get money, but there are finite places that we can build. And so we need the housing authority to be a partner in that and ensuring that we preserve that housing. So I think we came to a good place. I mean, you're right. It, it ultimately was a consensus document. And uh, when we took the first vote, I had a, a number of amendments um, that were accepted as friendly. Um, by the second vote, um, many of them had been incorporated into the document. And um, we had been able to work together with everybody who had raised concerns. And I, I will um, very publicly offer my gratitude to Chairman Phil Mendelson, who had to take the lead on this as the chair of the Committee of the Hall. Um, he has an incredible staffer who worked on this with us. Um, David Many on my team worked uh, with his team, and they were really open to a lot of the amendments that we proposed. And and I was working also with coalition uh, members that represented affordable housing um, providers, developers, tenants organizations. Um, everyone, everyone understands the importance of making sure we get this document right because this is what we're building on. I mean, I think about this, when I talk about this in community and with leaders, I think of the comprehensive plan as the best shot we have at addressing our affordable housing issues for the future. There are so many projects we're working on. We've got the Housing Production Trust Fund. We've got the Preservation Fund. We've got the repositioning plan of the Housing Authority, and those things are all critical. But the foundation for all of them and the document that determines where we can build all this housing is the comp plan. Right. Now, one thing I know that you took a stand on early and, and I think is maybe going to get dealt with in more detail in the subsequent chapters sure. is the single-family housing. Right. Um, where you um, – well, why don't – I'll just let you explain it. Sure. What, so, what, were you, what, were your tr- what were you trying to do? What was your goal? How yeah. did it end up working? So um, ultimately – well, let me explain what, what we mean by that. Um, so there are entire parts of the city, in fact, many parts of the city, where it is illegal to build any more than one home on a lot. Um, and what that means is um, – we have severely limited the amount of housing we can build. And areas that do allow um, multifamily or even duplexes or fourplexes, they're getting really crunched. Is so, fourplex a word? Uh, we've made it a word in the course of this conversation and other conversations. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, you, can, you can fact check me on that, but I would imagine it pops up in your, your Google search with some other uh, cities that have been working on this. Yeah. Uh, in any case, that would be a um, building that has four units in it. Yes. Yes. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So um, this is a really critical conversation. A lot of people will tell you that they care about affordable housing. Um, but when the rubber meets the road, some of those people don't want it in their neighborhood, right? The not in my backyard crowd, NIMBYs, we call right. them. Um and uh, I will say Ward 1, uh, in Ward 1, you can build a multi-unit um, anywhere. Uh, we don't have this issue. We, you know, even, even in the single-family homes, you can have a basement apartment. Um, and so we have taken on a lot of that. Um, ward 6 is another uh, ward that has taken on a lot of that. Um, people will often say that they don't want to change the character of the neighborhood. Um, and 
I hear that, and I, I don't think everybody means it this way, but some of the people who say it really mean they don't want any housing in their neighborhood, right? Build it somewhere else. Um, there are a lot of places around the country where you have a beautiful home that's actually a duplex, um, and it doesn't compromise the character of the neighborhood. Um, I think a lot about Cleveland Park. Um, Cleveland Park has a really interesting diversity of housing. Um, they have multi-unit buildings on the same block as single-family homes. They have detached single-family homes. They have attached. They have duplexes. Um, and it makes a really nice, diverse housing mix. Um, and it's still one of those neighborhoods that people think of as neighborhoody, right? right. Um, and we could do more of that. And the other thing is really we're not building tall buildings in places that are really obvious. Um, we need to do more tall buildings on Lower Georgia Avenue, for example. Um, let's say MacArthur Boulevard, Wisconsin Avenue, places where I think most people would agree. We don't currently have the ability to do those, um, and that's an easy fix. Here in the district, we often hide behind the Height Act. Um, we don't have control over the Height Act and its existence, the fact that we can't build over eight stories, you know, any taller than the Cairo. Um, but even with the Height Act in place, we could more than double the amount of housing we have in the District of Columbia if we could update our zoning. Um, and so the comprehensive plan doesn't actually change the zoning code. That's up to the zoning commission themselves. But what it does do is lay out the intent so that they can refer to it and, and make the adjustments that they think comply with the comprehensive plan. So that's the conversation we're having. So your original question said, how did it end up? Um, what we did in the framework element was um, call on the Office of Planning to study the impact of single-family zoning in the neighborhoods um, where multifamily is prohibited. Um, and so, and we saw also when they sent the rest of the uh, comprehensive plan to us and to the community that um, they took into account the need for upzoning um, in certain neighborhoods, so. Gotcha. Um, now we're almost to the, the wrap up fun questions. Oh but just no. The, to wrap up <laughs> the comp plan, not that the comp plan hasn't been great enjoyment uh, so far, um, but very briefly, just what is the process moving forward? Sure. What is the timeline to a complete comp plan? So the Office of Planning has extended the deadline for community input, including neighborhood commissioner input. Um, and that is now February 14th. That's Friday, Valentine's Day. So those of you who haven't made your Valentine's Day plans yet, think about submitting comments to the comprehensive plan with love. Mm -hmm. uh, that one was for you, Josh. Just get a little punny there for you. Um and so right now, working and engaging um, your ANC is the best way to go. Um, once they um, take all those comments, so then the comp then they have to the office planning has to actually process all those comments. Um, and then after that, they send that version to the council, and then we have a hearing. So we have some time yet. We have some time. Yeah. Well, we don't have a ton of time here, so let's quickly get to the closeout questions. Okay. Um, I'm ready. So the, the first one, and as always, you're the first to try these out as well. So it's a double burden. Guinea pig. Um, here I am. So what I'm thinking is build me a perfect council member out of parts of your colleagues. <laughs> oh, God. Um, not a physical specimen. A, you know, a I would pick this person's attention to detail, right. that person's sense of humor. Okay. I definitely Mary Chase's sense of humor. Okay. Uh, David Grasso's chutzpah. 
Uh-huh. Do we have to define that for the listeners? No, not okay. for our listeners. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, Alyssa Silverman's Curiosity. Uh, what else? Uh, let's see. This is tough. It's like a quick quiz on what... what I don't know. Kenya McDuffie's Diligence. Okay. Okay. Uh, Let me think if I want to throw anyone else in there. Well, you know, our chairman, our our chairman's uh, sense of duty to the institution is is critical. That's Chairman Mendelson, for those of you who are living on Mars. Right. Um, And I don't know. Gosh, I'm sure I've left out... Well, you know, I only picked a few, so, you know, we can't have the rest of them mad at me for being excluded. That's okay. We'll, we'll leave the record open. And yeah. You can, you can that's how, for how many days? Uh, something like that. Okay. 14 days. 14 I think days. The is. record will be open. Yes. Yes. And and I had other questions, but I think, unfortunately, we're running very short on time. I'm going to throw one of them in. Okay. This is in the round of, like, which council member would you pick for Odd Test? Oh, yeah. Great. I love those. Who Not. would you like to watch dance? Either because they'd be <laughs> very good at dancing or because they'd be terrible at dancing. I feel like I've seen them all dance because there's this council holiday party. Yes. Ugh. I don't know, Josh. You can pass. I got it. I got it. I'd just to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to see any of them dance. Yeah, that's that's probably. That's and they probably, don't want to see me dance either. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> probably for the best. I don't know where that question came from, but um, I don't know. I, just thought it'd be really funny. Um, so anyway, thank you listeners for joining us. Uh, thank you, first of all, council members so much for oh, yeah. coming back uh, five times. I know. Glutton for punishment. Indeed. Indeed. Um, and thank you listeners for joining us. Tune in again next time. We're DC at DC Radio, 96.3 on your HD4 dial or at dcradio.gov. I'm Josh Gibson. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. Thank you. Thank you.